The Bite Goes On is up next, but first, check out this other great show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Destination Eat Drink. This week, it's all about whales, amazing cheeses, Welsh cakes, and pub etiquette. Although I do have a tip for you. Good. Walk into any pub in South Wales and just utter the words. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to get my head bashed in, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) You're putting me on a suicide mission here, Pip. (laughs) Find out what not to say in a pub in Wales. Download the unbeeped version on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hi, and welcome to The Bike Goes On. This is Brian Casey with Sandra Bernstein. It's a beautiful day here in Sonoma County. It, it is. It's know, did you go for your walk this morning? I did. It's 6.15 and it was freezing. Okay. I had a scarf. Yeah. I actually wore my mask because my nose was cold. So <laughs> not because I was being like, but I didn't. And, and it's funny because the last couple of days, I haven't seen anybody out there since the time changed. So mm. I'm, I'm doing, it's like six, six o'clock. And then I'm in my house for the rest of the day. So that was yeah. it. Yeah. Months. Last night at the, at the hotel at seven o'clock, I could have sworn it was nine o'clock at night. It was so dark and it, it so just made the, it made the night so much longer. <laughs> yeah. But, oh, well, we'll get, we'll adjust. We'll get used to it. Yeah. So um, I'm so excited today because we have given um, a lot of conversation to the plant people, um, you know, <laughs> and the vegans. And I don't think we've given enough love to our meat lovers and, um, Really excited to have invited Monica and Aaron Rocchino from the local butcher butcher shop butcher shop. No, it's a it's ch. It's book 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 butcher butcher. We're getting our Italian pronunciations, but thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it, and you were like really brave to just say okay to me. Um, but thank you. Thanks for asking. Yeah, how are you guys? We're doing well, yeah. as well as can be. Yeah. 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 Butchering in the time of COVID. Keep us busy, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. With the kindergarten. Yeah. Um, yeah. It wouldn't be a podcast without a dog barking. We have a kindergarten pod in our backyard with six six year olds. Oh my goodness. Okay. That sounded like a knock of a child. Most likely our daughter. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so she's six? She is. Yeah. yeah. Well, she'll be six on Christmas. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. And you have one? Yeah. One. Yeah. So yeah. you guys are doing the same thing we're doing. You've got a little a little mini classroom that you guys are potting um, with. Yeah. We have kind a teacher of, yeah. and uh, oh, well, wow. teacher's aid because right. none of our other parents were like, we can't do that. <laughs> yeah. Andrew yeah. has a teacher too, I think. I think in Petaluma, they got a teacher. Yeah. But yeah. I guess teachers are, some teachers are available. They're not in school. Well, yeah. And they're outside. So, and yeah. it's a much smaller group than they would yeah. normally yeah. be. Yeah. And that must be so different. Like my daughter's 12. So it's, you know, she's already gone through elementary school, started middle school. And for them being on um, iPads, laptops, like phones is is pretty normal for them 
but I was wondering what it was like for kids that were younger that were just starting because for them it's sort of mostly about social interaction at that age when they're going to school I mean they are learning A's and B's and C's and all that stuff but but a lot of it is social interaction so what's what is it that they're looking at on their screens? <laughs> um, YouTube? No. Uh, they, <laughs> they are, um, they each have a classroom kindergarten teacher on their screens. Um, okay. And they're, yeah, they're doing the alphabet. They're doing math. They're doing um, drawing and storytelling and comprehension. And, um, and then they have a lot of breaks. And so that's yeah. where being in the pod is really crucial and essential. And having that teacher's aide who's, you know, well-versed in social behaviors of kindergartners <laughs> to kind of, you know, teach the whole cooperative, cooperative mindset and, and interactions of how to handle and deal with each other is really key. Yeah, which is like the biggest part, right, that people said the kids are missing is social cues. You know, it's it's little things that you don't think of. There's something it's something like 500 things that the kids aren't getting that they normally get in in-person learning um, yeah. that, they, that they've added up. And then is um, is snack time or sleep time a part of the uh, nap time? <laughs> <laughs> There's no nap time, unfortunately. There okay. is snack time. For okay. Sure. Yeah. Time and we put the kids at that age are are it's easier for them maybe because they don't have as many expectations about school yet i don't know i, I don't, don't know kids. our daughter loves school she's oh. loving it so yeah very blessed cool. we have a yeah. we have a, a situation that's working and we feel really fortunate about that yeah. that we're able to make that happen and what's going on where you guys are over in berkeley as far as um you know, where are you guys at in the steps of opening up? You know, I actually have no idea because yeah. we <laughs> we are a, a essential um, storefront. And right. so we've been open. We, we haven't closed a single day yeah. since this began. Um, and we've just held, we've had a three-person maximum occupancy in, or three-customer maximum occupancy since it began. So in terms of like, 25% of your customers allowed indoors or whatever. I don't know. I don't even know where, where it's at these days. No, I was just wondering, because I know you guys, I mean, you do sell to Chez Panisse. I think you provide um, um, meat for them, but I was just curious whether other restaurants, if they're, um, if business levels were down that you were noticing um, oh, on yeah. your end. Yeah. Oh yeah, our whole wholesale business went kaput. Yeah. Um, but we were really fortunate that our retail business skyrocketed. That went crazy, right? And so it far outweighed the losses of our wholesale business. Right. I guess, and Sandra, we should probably start from the beginning and say, okay, what, <laughs> really? what, what is it exactly we're talking about? Yeah. So do yeah. you guys want to, you want to do a brief little um, synopsis of, you know, what it is, what your store is and how you got into it? So Aaron and I own the local butcher shop in Berkeley. Um, we're in what used to be known as the Gourmet Ghetto and is now known as like the North Shattuck Business mm. Association like or something. Um, <laughs> Doesn't roll off the tongue like the, like the ghetto. No, yeah. no. Um, we, start, we opened nine years ago. Um, Aaron was working as a chef in the kitchen, downstairs kitchen at Chez Panisse and I was um, in sales and um, 
marketing at Paula uh, LaDuke Fine Catering. Um, and we just didn't see each other. We had totally opposite schedules. Yeah. So we wanted to do something um, that we could stay in the food business. We could have more quote unquote normal hours, um, <laughs> more balance and um, give back to our community in some way. And we were thinking what, what we needed. We lived in Oakland at the time and what we really found we needed was meat that we could trust. Um, at that time, the only meat that we felt really secure about was the meat that Aaron brought home from the restaurant. Um, and if we went to the farmer's market, it was always frozen and packed in plastic. And right. um, so because we met working at Oliveto um, with Paul Bertoli and Paul Canales, and um, at that time, the farmers, the ranchers would bring, you know, the lambs and the pigs over their shoulders. And Aaron really got to uh, build relationships with them over the time at Oliveto and at Chez Panisse. So we called up all the ranchers that had supplied both of those restaurants and said, would you be willing to sell re retail to home cooks through our shop? And because they knew Aaron and they knew his pedigree, they all said, yes, essentially we are becoming their salespeople. Um, so that's what we did. We started a, a butcher shop and we sell, um, we only buy whole carcasses um, direct from the farmers and ranchers. There's no distributors. Um, and we sell um, all types of meat and poultry um, that is raised within 150 miles of Berkeley. Mm. Um, it used to be slaughtered within 150 miles of Berkeley, but right now we're having a little bit of a slaughterhouse crisis. Um, so that's, that's kind of a little bit wishy-washy, but yeah. um, and any supplemental feed that's fed to the animals is also coming from within 150 miles. That's kind of how we defined the term local. Um, and then, you know, whatever we don't sell, whatever part of the animal we don't sell as raw meat, um, we used to make pâtés and deli meats and sausages and stocks and soups. And scrapple. And and scrapple. Yeah. <laughs> when I saw that, you had my mouth watering. Uh, sandwich of the day that changes every day you know rendered fats um anything soap and cookies. everything yeah soap Cookie. soap cookies oh. with made with lard um jerkies anything we can do to use up the entire animal we do pet treats and all dog that. food yeah yeah um so that's where we're at and we've learned a lot and we've come a long way and here we are in yeah. the time of COVID, the best yeah. year ever. And we, we've been very fortunate to be able to uh, stay open and have a brisk business during this time. And also it's been really great for us to um, solidify further our relationship with the farmers because a lot of restaurants have closed or shut down mm -hmm. and they would supply some of these restaurants with uh, with meat and now they no longer have an outlet for it but luckily we've been busy and we can we can take things off of their hands that they would normally send to restaurants and it's it's kind of a little bit of the uh of the caveat of us doing whole animal um but we're still working with the same producers we're still getting the whole animals that we normally would but to supplement with some of the extra stuff so that from what would normally go to some of these higher-end restaurants um, gives us more product to sell, also helping out the farmer. So, yeah, it's yeah, that's been huge. a good time. And you guys, what was in there? 
before you moved in? Was it was it a was there a business in there before, or was it a brand new space? It was called the Red Hanger. It was a dry cleaners, and they wouldn't do any of the cleaning in house. They'd send it all out, and then it would be okay. a drop off and pickup spot, really. So when we box. took it, yeah, when we took it over, box. it was it was basically like an empty shell with three uh, outlets. Yeah, just some oh god <laughs> outlets, and that's it. So. So, okay, so that's what I was curious about is like, what is the challenge of, because if I'm thinking a traditional like um, butcher shop, like, first of all, you're talking about like huge walk-in, right? And right. then, and then big tables where you can do your butchering. But for you guys bringing in whole carcasses, it probably is a little bit different. Like what is the setup and what are the challenges for that? I, I think for us, we were very fortunate that the uh, owner of the building was, really behind us and wanted to back us um, because it really was interested in what we wanted to do. And so they were able to take on some of the costs that it would just be, you know, and because it was a, a box in terms of like getting, since we have a full production kitchen, you know, we had all, it, it's more than just a cutting room for meat. You know, we've right. got the gas and the, the water lines and you know all that so everything had to be put in so wow. they were they were helpful in terms of taking care of the things that were going to stay there if we were to move on um, and then but it was a fun process to actually see all the the morphing that could have happened and did happen to the space we were also very naive um, we've never done anything like this so had we known now what we know, have we known then what we know now, um, the location of the space is optimal. It's across from a supermarket, which is key because people aren't going to make a one-stop shop just for their meat. Um, but the parking lot next to it is very narrow and there's no way to get a truck into it to back up. Like there's no loading dock or anything of that sort. And most butcher shops that um, do whole carcass have a rail system that goes out into the parking lot so that they can connect the truck with the sides of beef or whatever hanging right onto the rail and then slide it right into the walk-in. If you look, if you look closely at old um, grocery stores that have been around for a while and you look out on back where their loading docks are, you might see a rail that's poking out through one of the doors and that's strictly for for that purpose uh, when when they used to do whole carcasses so, and that's ideally what we could have had happen but it just the way it's situated just didn't let us do it right so instead it's kind of like um, Sandra have you ever been in Chinatown when you see them unloading um out of the back of the trucks I mean it's double parked yeah and then you see people just like whether it's ducks or, or beef or whatever, it's just people carrying meat into the store. Yeah, so that's what we do because we're just not, uh, yeah, we just don't have that connection to the outside. Right. The rail, but. Yeah, and interesting that you're located right across the street from the store too, because that was the thing I remember as a kid. I grew up in Petaluma and my mom, we would go to Bateman's uh, was our butcher shop that was on Petaluma Boulevard North. And so that's where we got our red meat. And then we would drive out to Cater Farms for our chicken and our eggs, which was like, you know, another five miles away. And then you're going to the, to the, to the bakery, which was like 
kind of in between both of them. But like, it was a day process. Like it was when we knew we were going shopping with my mom, you're like, okay, we're going to be gone for like four or five hours. <laughs> and I don't think people do that nowadays. I think the farmer's market is probably the closest thing because they can do like one shop all in one spot. Mm-hmm. Very European. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we, and yeah. we do have, we have like the cheese board um, right there and we have the original peats and um, there used to be a, a little vegetable produce store down the street, but regardless, people still like to go across the street, do all of their major shopping or dried goods or whatever, and then and then just run over for their meat. It's been good for us. And for a while we were, there was talk about the store, the grocery store shutting down and we weren't sure, you know, what was gonna go in that space. And, um, you know, it, we, we actually were, in the beginning of it, we were actually kind of happy that that was gonna happen. But then the more we thought about it and then the longer they stayed open, the more we realized that we really do work off of each other. Even though they have a meat department, it's, it's just different. You know, so we're 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 able to, you know, supply and stock what we know works for us, since we don't have a very big space, mm-hmm. and then and know that that, you know, option is next door for everything else, so we don't have to feel that pressure of trying to have, be everything for everybody. Yeah, carry pasta and beans right. and rice and right, but do you guys have tables out front where if someone gets one of those yummy sandwiches they can just eat it right there we used to pre-covid okay yeah Uh so they won't even you don't have any space outside like on the sidewalk where you could put tables well you have a line now right we're not even allowed we weren't even allowed to have those technically to have those few tables out there Uh, we're uh, not zoned as a restaurant right um when we first opened we had like tall grasses in that area because we weren't allowed to have a gathering area <laughs> for people to gather. Right. Heaven forbid people yeah. gathering in Berkeley. Yeah. Right. That's how trouble starts. I know, yeah. right? <laughs> so instead they sit in the median right. on Shattuck. Right, right. <laughs> Much safer. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Do you have, um, like when you're making like the meats and uh, pate or terrines or, you know, deli meats, do you have to be um, inspected like FDA, that whole thing? So you don't wholesale those meats? No. So we, we are inspected. It's ready. You know, the, the city uh, health department comes by just like if we were a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um they come by regularly, uh, I'd say maybe twice a year, maybe three times a year. And then um, we have, we're state inspected, which is the CDFA. Mm-hmm. Um, they come randomly as they please, but there's a lot of paperwork and um, things that we have to do in order to just log times and temperatures and mm-hmm. you know processes. But we're, uh, we're also a, a CDFA inspector. Right. So in order to have that license, you need somebody at, who acts as an inspector when the real inspector isn't around. So um, I'm that person and I have to um, manage that, which is fine. It's just a lot of it's just a lot of paperwork and stuff. Yeah. But um, and, and as long as, you know, it's it's there's a lot of common sense involved, too. But, um, you know, it's it's mostly just keeping track of things. 
Um, and then we have the USDA come by uh, once or twice a year um, and, you know, just checking certain logs and things. But generally speaking, what the, the CDFA we see the most of for state inspection, and they're really looking for um, things that are cured, smoked, rendered, mm -hmm. dried, like dehydrated, things like that. Um, and then for uh, where, in terms of how our business is set up, the USDA is mostly interested in grinds, like grind logs, um, and if there's wholesale and how that, how that works, so. When you were working at um, Chez Panisse, were you making meats there, you know, like uh, charcuterie there as well? We were, but they were, um, it was, there was no real set program. Uh, right. The time that I was there uh, during the winter months, Jean-Pierre did a lot of um, the pâtés and terrines and um, I learned a lot from him in, in that way. And um, there, it was just kind of when we had the time to do it or if there was a special dinner coming up and, and we, could, we could include something like that on, but there was never really a, a set program from making the salumi. There were times that it tried to get started, but um, it just, there's so many really things that Chez Panisse is really great at. And so found kind of focusing more on that stuff, which mm -hmm. makes total sense, you know? Yeah, I mean, I was just wondering when yeah. we had, um, we opened an Italian restaurant, what year, right? I mean, I mean, I think I was there 2010, so maybe it was 20, 2008. 2008 or nine. It was called Estate or Estate. And we started making all of our own salumi. I mean, John did, chef, you know, the chef. In the closet. And in our yeah, wine yeah. room. <laughs> Basically in a closet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as like a restaurant, like they, we considered them recipes and because we weren't selling a wholesaler like as that, but they were part of dishes. Um, we never had to go through the whole FDA, CDFA and all of that. Right, so that, that's changed since then. And um, so now, I mean, the, it's a little different because if you're serving it on a menu, the customer's getting it and eating it right there. So mm -hmm. if there's ever an issue, they have a way to trace it back. They're like, okay, it was, this meal is where I got sick. And then to kind of narrow it down from there. Mm -hmm. um, whereas if you're selling it wholesale, there, there are a lot of other, you know, when it was, what happened to it before it was packaged and then after it was packaged and how did it get from your spot of making it to uh, where it's gonna be wholesaled or sold to the customer and then how long is it in the customer's fridge before, you know, there's right. so many variables. So there's a lot um, more kind of involved in that, but, um, but now the CDFA within the past, I don't know, maybe three or four years, CDFA has started to um, get into restaurants and doing the, uh, the inspections for them. And they're mostly looking for that kind of stuff, like mm -hmm. purity, that they're making on their own and then selling on the menu. And they're really just trying to make sure that the processes are, are done correctly. Because, yeah, I mean, really thinking about it, like doing it in your home closet, <laughs> so that, or even just a closet in general, there's so many things that can happen. You know, you obviously you're not trying to do anything to get anybody sick, but they're just it may there's a lot of 
there's a lot of expenses and a lot of uh, things just kind of involved in doing it the way that they want you to do it. Mm -hmm. um, so, and that's one of the reasons why we, we don't do it at the shop because it's, we don't have space. We're sitting on money that we could sell because we'd rather sell it raw. But then also it's just, there's so many hoops that you have to go through. Yeah. Maybe do that, but Sandra, remember we're when we totally had uncompliant right now? Right. Maybe we probably uh, are, right? I keep going until until somebody comes by, and then and and then that's yeah, it. they're not listening. Yeah. Well, Sandra, you you guys have come out of the closet as it oh, is. Yeah. So, as yeah, you're we, not doing that anymore. Okay. Right. So, right. Yeah. But remember when we had Dustin Vallette on the show, and he was talking about? I think. He said that he was doing a lot of educating of the inspectors when they right, would come exactly. and he's like they don't really know what what i'm doing and under they're not understanding what i'm doing right. and so i'm having to educate them and i think he ended up having all the the manuals and all the laws and everything and i mean it was like going through all this stuff it was just like yeah it was it yeah. was a lot <laughs> so when we were at oliveto um paul bertoli did uh he did a lot with cured meats and whether that was pates or trains or but a, a lot of it was salami mm. um so i learned a lot from him there and and really by i mean they they turned out really great but um it was all none of it was done in a way that you know was it, it was old style yeah it was old style right right Rustic. But that's, I mean, you think about in, in Europe and like how that's just what they do. And that's, right. there are, there are things that just make it turn out to be so much better mm -hmm. because of the environment or, you know, however it's, however it's happening. But, you know, now, now Paul Rotoli's got Fermani and they're doing it by the books and, you know, so it's they're still really good. Uh, so it, yeah. it's like, you know, one of those, one of those things, it's just, but everything yeah. has gotten so much harder, so much more bureaucracy around everything. I mean, definitely from when I started in the business, it just seems like just even making our own ice cream, you know, having yeah. a permit just, you know, it's like, okay, well, they need money, you know, so nothing happens except we write a check and now we have a permit. They don't check anything. I remember one of the guys that um, we opened who, who worked for us when we were opening um, I got really bent out of shape when the first inspector came into the shop from the state and well, it, it wasn't done. I feel like the right way he came in with this. It looked like an FBI jacket that had really big letters on the back that said CDFA and he was like, came in flashing his badge and we had a bunch of customers and, you know, it was just Get like, up against the wall. It, it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was really hard for me. And then and then all of these things that they were pointing out, like these are the things that are under, we would need to inspect and we have ways that you need to do this. And for them telling me as a cook who didn't follow recipes, you know, this right. is how you have to do it. And if you don't do it, that you can't do it, like you can't make it. It really, it really got me into a, a, a bad place just because I, I was like, well, if they're going to tell me I have to do it, then I'm not going to do it. And he, he th this guy that uh, worked with us in the beginning, he had a business who went through a similar situation and basically said that, um, you know, they, they're, it's not in their best interest to shut you down because right. they need a job to keep coming back to. They're just trying to 
have you follow the books. And they're going to do what they can in order to get you there. So at this, you know, the first presence of them was, was very forward and in your face. Jarring. Yeah, but, but then the more we started to understand it and start to kind of go through with the process, really, that is, that is what they're after. I mean, they can't shut you down because then they won't have a job. Right. You know, enough people, they, then they won't have a place to go to. So they want to keep there's you there's less, less and less real butchers anyway. I mean, you know, I feel like it's a dying breed. Um, you know, you see pop up, you know, butchers here and there in different cities, but it's not like it used to be. And mm -hmm. I, I wonder if that is, you know, part of its economics, part of it is all the rules, um, families, the kids don't want to take over the family business. Well, there, there's definitely, I mean, you, there's reasons why the industry went in the direction that it did. And, you know, that's being able to buy exactly what you want, get it exactly when you want it, and, uh, you know, be able to have that turnaround time, you know, be, you can have whatever you want for your customers when they want it. So, like, why why not do that? And in terms of scale, like they can get the cost down. So it's less expensive for the business to buy and then less expensive for the consumer. So, um, and it's a lot of work to do what we do. And oh, yeah. so it's definitely not easy and it's really expensive. So it's, it's not practical uh, for just everyone to be able to have it in their city. And uh, it, yeah not saying that the way that it's gone is better because I don't think it is, but it's yeah. there. You can understand and see why it's gotten to where it is. And you kind of touched on it for a second, but will you talk about s seasonality? Because people think in terms of, you know, my tomatoes in the summer and my squash in the fall, but they don't quite understand the idea of meat actually having seasons as well. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, meat that's raised out on pasture is seasonal because pasture is seasonal. So if you're thinking about um, like beef, for example, around here in the winter time, the grasses are green. Um, they're filled with water and chlorophyll. Yeah. And basically it's, and it's cold out and it's akin to the, the cattle eating celery. You know, they're losing weight. They're using all their caloric energy to stay warm. Um, and there's no real protein in that green grass. Mm -hmm. um, so what happens is they lose their intramuscular fat, which we know as is marbling. Oh. So in the winter, the beef that you, um, that you inherently want to be eating are the, the parts that take longer and slower to cook, like the stew meats and the braises and all of that rather than the leaner cuts, which are, you know, the grillable cuts, mm -hmm. which works out because, you know, very few people yeah. want to get out the barbecue and, and grill their ribeyes in December. Um, but, um, and the same goes for chicken. Chicken get wet and cold and they, it takes them very long to put on weight um, if they're not getting sick, you know, from being so... <laughs> getting colds, um, they need a safe and warm, dry place to be. Um, pigs are really the only animal that is pretty much in, the, in our environs, which is pretty moderate. Um, 
they pretty much maintain year round. They're kind of opposite though, depending on where they are. You know, if it um, if it's really hot, then they just become lazy and they don't do much. So, right. Sounds it, like me. <laughs> right. So yeah, it it it's a it's a similar situation, just kind of in, in the opposite spectrum. And then in the the summer and early fall, when all the grasses go to seed and dry out, we always say it's like they're eating pasta. They're carb loading. Uh -huh. All of that protein and carbohydrates are just packing on. They can pack on beef can cattle can pack on three to four pounds a day. Oh my um, God, eating wow. grass? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. And so all of that is going straight to their intramuscular fat and making beautiful marbling. And um, that's why many grass fed beef ranchers will only cull their herds in the summer and, and early fall um, because obviously they're getting paid by the pound. And right. so their cattle are a lot heavier come, come right about now, you know, yeah. um, September, October, um, locally. Um, and many of them won't sell in the, in the winter months because they're not getting the return on their, on their livestock that they could be if they hold on to them a few more months. Mm. Um, yeah, and the same goes with the eggs. Egg production goes way up when it's warmer. Um, I think I think that's also why um, you know pasture raised animals or or I guess more specifically grass finished beef um, for a long time and I think even still now it's trying to get out of it but they got a bad rap because um, a lot of people were trying to raise grass fed grass finished beef um, just because it was it was like almost a new buzzword and. By being able to get more money for it, they're trying to do that. Um, and but just not really understanding the whole process of it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you'd get a lot of beef that was just super lean and not not really in terms of flavor, complex, or um, just not a very good eating steak or eating cut in general. And but if you have people who are doing it correctly and understand that they can make really nice animals, even year round. Um, we've been able to work with um, some farmers that, uh, that are able to supply us year round with beef and they've got some really great systems in place to, to make that happen so that uh, it's still a struggle for sure in order to, to maintain that weight uh, for, the, for the beef, but um, Is it grain it takes a lot of effort. Mm -mm. Grass, have, so it's all grass fed, grass finished. So why, why is grain finished or why, why is that an issue? Is it, it's an, I mean, people. It's shouldn't. an issue on a few different levels. Um, okay. Firstly, cattle are not bred to process anything other than grasses. Mm -hmm. Their stomachs don't work that way. So feeding corn or soy or. Um, doesn't digest well and causes illness, mm -hmm. um, which then of course leads to needing anti antibiotics, um, which we also don't have any animals in our, in our butcher shop that have been treated with antibiotics. Um, of course, we support farmers treating their animals if they're sick, mm -hmm. but, not, but those don't end up in our stream. 
um, of purchases. Um, and certainly none of the animals are treated, um, uh, what's the word, preventatively with antibiotics, um, which many grain finished animals need to be um, to avoid them getting sick. Um, and then the second big issue is that 99.99% of grain that's fed to cattle or livestock is is grown in a monoculture, monocrop kind of way, um, can be GMO, but it's just totally depleting our soils. Um, and it's, it's absolutely the antithesis of regenerative ag. Um, and so, I mean, the, to me, the cost of having a grass fin, I mean, a grain finished beef is, is far, far, far outweighs the unctuousness or the fatty flavor, whatever it is that people really enjoy about a grain finished cut of beef. Um, it, it, it doesn't balance out at all in my mind. Did um, you see that new movie, um, Kiss the Ground? Yeah, we did. I loved it. Yeah, it's great. I thought it was amazing. It's it's spot on. Um, I, I and there's another one coming out. Gather. There's, there's yeah, there's Gather, and then there's another one coming out this month actually called Sacred Cow uh -huh. by Diana Rogers. Um, it's based on a book that she wrote last year. Um, and um, what's his name? The guy from Parks and Rec. Who's the wood? Ron, Ron, Swan, Swan, Ron Swanson. Ron Swanson. <laughs> Whatever his his I, his real name is eluding me at this moment. Um, he's the narrator. Uh huh. And uh, it's a it's it's more of a look at specifically at beef, not so much at livestock, but at the ethical, environmental, and um, nutritional. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it focuses on those three main topics through the lens of, of cattle. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty interesting. But similarly, um, you know, the regenerative ag and regenerative um, livestock production is really where it's at right now. And we talk a lot about when we first started working with Lauren at Stemple Creek, Lauren Poncha at Stemple Creek, he was, uh, he was a progressive cattle rancher, so he called himself a grass farmer. That was like the thing at that time, right? All these um, grass-fed, grass-finished beef ranchers were calling themselves grass farmers. Well, now he's a soil farmer. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like gone even below that and and the whole carbon sequestration and all of the soil, the soil um, rejuvenation is, is at the top of the top of the subject line now. So it's pretty interesting to see, you know, as we get along the way, how, how much deeper and more complex meat eating and livestock raising is. Yeah, and I mean, I thought, I thought it was, I, I like it as ammunition, ammunition against the vegans. I mean, I have nothing against vegans. I have some very good vegan friends. Even Brian was a vegan for a month. But I think it's for everything, all different kinds of food. And people should have whatever feelings they want and do whatever they want. I don't really care. 
but I love the fact that there's information coming in, how important it is to have, you know, cows and, and beef and, you know, them on the land and natural path, you know, all of that. I, I love it. I love it. I mean, I find I've, I would, I could have eaten meat like five times a week for ages. I probably eat meat maybe once every other week, probably because I don't have access to like the best meat, especially now in COVID staying home. I'm not, you know, I can't have Lucky's or whoever just pick out my meat for me. That doesn't work right now. Um, I guess I could ask the chefs to get me meat from the restaurant, but um, you could. Uh, yeah. Can I order a butcher box from you guys? Would you ship it to me? Yeah, we also do. I mean, all of the farmers we work with, and especially now since COVID, they all are doing um, direct to consumer CSA oh, boxes. Okay. And I have to do really that. Easy. I haven't had any good meat at all in, yeah. in, since March. It's very easy. You just yeah. hop on your computer okay. and order a box. Awesome. <laughs> I'm going to do that. That's another <laughs> thing about the, uh, you know, the, the difference of how we were talking about the meat industry just kind of becoming the way that it has and you know for a, a grass finished beef or pasture raised anything really takes just about twice as long uh, to get to the final stages of you know being ready to go to market um, so in terms of efficiencies it just ends up it's just not it's not an efficient process right but there's so many other great people have to pay more it. yeah yeah, I mean, people have to understand that, you know, you're not going to get this fast product that is constantly, you know, so quick where, you know, I think at that place you can charge less money, but something that is going to take that long, it requires more value. Yeah, we, so we I, always say eat less meat, better quality, pay more. Yes, yes. But in the end, you're paying the same because you're eating less of it. Right. Yeah. What about, um, I, I'm always curious about um, aging beef, like the differences. I mean, some of this I know, but I want our listeners to hear, um, you know, like why, how does age beef, why is it, why could it be better? Or why is it better? Or why is it a good business decision to age beef? Or maybe it's not. I don't know that it is. I mean, I guess it could be because then you're you're turning into uh, almost like a value-added product. So you can charge more for it. Uh, you need to charge more anyway to, you know, for the yield that you're getting, all the moisture loss uh, and the things that you have to cut away and trim away in order to make a sellable cut. Um, so you're going to have to charge more anyway for that. But uh, I mean, for... Oh, Generally speaking, when you age meat, it, it loses moisture, so it intensifies the flavor. Uh, and the, uh, the muscles, will, they kind of like break down a bit almost, so they be, can become more tender um, with the aging process. Um, what we've found for us at the shop, um, we try not to, well, we, we don't age beef after a certain time of the year. So like we're starting to get into that time um, and it's really dependent on how the carcass looks when it shows up um, or how, how they look just in terms of how much we, 
we call it cover, but it's the amount of like uh, fat that's on the exterior of the carcass that, um, so like if you look at a ribeye, you know how the, the one side of it has fat on it. So that's, the, that's what we're looking for if there's enough, if it's thick enough or if it's thin, depends on how the animals was skinned too. Um, you know, if there, if there are holes that expose the meat, like holes in the fat that expose the meat more, that's not really anything that we can, you can age, but come like uh, October, November, we start to see that cover get thinner as we're going into winter, like what Monica was saying. So it's hard to, right. It's hard for them to gain weight and the, the rancher's job is to help maintain the weight. Mm -hmm. So the fat gets thinner and leaner. So once that happens for us, um, we, we don't lay any, uh, thing down to age because it can't get that proper age on it because it doesn't have that protective layer of the fat. It has bone coverage, but and that's also another important factor that, you know, you leave the bone in um, and so that the way you have less to take off when it's time to cut into it. Um, but, you know, due to COVID, we just haven't had a chance to hold on to any of those sections of the animal to age just because we've been blowing through it. Uh, for how busy we've been. That's great. Summers are slowest month, so it works out in terms of laying things down. Um, Berkeley loses 30,000 people every summer between the students and the professors and the grad oh, students and everything. So, oh, right. And the, and the um, lovely customers who live up in the hills go to, the, to France or Europe or wherever <laughs> in their chateaus and um, they're gone for the whole summer. Um, so at first, when we first opened, we were like, what did we do? We scared them all away where they at. Because all the other butcher shops were like, summer, it's rocking, everyone's grilling, everyone's, you know, buying meat, meat, meat. Um, but anyway, so it, our natural cycle at our particular location um, lends itself well to having some extra cuts that we are able to lay down in the summertime to um, age, but not this year. Yeah, so, nobody went anywhere this year <laughs> you know yeah. there i think aged meat really can be either a turn on or a turn off for people and um you know they're they're really into that more intense flavor of the either the beefiness or kind of like blue cheesy uh in a way um and that kind of it, it has a funk uh so yeah. you can either like that or not like it and it's it's yeah, usually it's not, on either end of the spectrum thing. Yeah, it's visually not really appealing. If people saw what it was looked like before you trimmed it up, they would right. probably think twice. And then we've dry aged um, ducks before uh, at the hotel, and it definitely it gets ducky. I mean, this, <laughs> right. <laughs> the smell, the smell. I mean, it's yeah. it's different, um, yeah. and some people love it, but some people, yeah, it's it's just not it's not. I mean, um, it's kind of like those wines that you open from the 670s, you know, they're a little bit too old for me. Yeah. Yeah. What, what is, um, this is totally a preference question, but what cut do you generally, do you prefer? Or are they all like your children? <laughs> so I would say about certain things. I can't give you my favorite. They're my kids. But um, I mean, is it different times, you know, that you want a ribeye versus a filet or a, you know? Or, or Sandra, how about this? Like, what? I want to know, like, the secret thing that they like. It's 
you know, when it, when a carcass comes in, they're like, okay, we're taking, you know how it used to be like fish cheeks or, you know, that there's, yeah, the butcher's cut, like what is on different animals? Like, what is that one thing that you guys um, really like on each animal? Okay, good one. Um, I mean, for beef, for me, it's our grind. I love good burger. Burger. Oh, <laughs> I love a good burger. It, are you mixing it from different areas, or yeah? So yeah. You so since it's, blend. it's it's from whole animals that we get it, you know, it's like depending on whatever we're we're cutting for the case or for our customer orders, and you know, we we create our trim by squaring up roasts, you know, to make them look pretty on, on either end or cutting steaks and, you know, just making things look nice. So it's the, the trimmings, we call it, that get cut off that we'll then use for our grind. And then we, um, you know, create our own, you know, lean meat to fat ratio, just mm -hmm. seeing what it looks like and then um, grinding it from there. So I think, uh, you know, the majority of grind that you'll find in places it's from a particular like one particular cut whether it's you know a little fattier from the chuck or a little leaner from the sirloin something like that but um we we try we only offer one type of grind but if somebody wants it leaner or fattier we can choose that cut and grind it for them um, but yeah we so i i would agree with monica i mean i think burgers mm -hmm. for me are also always really good i think um a lot of a lot of how we cut will determine kind of I think what's looking good at the time and um, you know different parts of the animal at different times uh, even within the same week um, mm -hmm. different animal 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 is so different but uh, there might be a cut that we're cutting for the case and um, or a customer requests something special and we're cutting like wow this looks really good and so then you know cut an extra one or something and keep it off the side and then that's what we'll <laughs> or we'll try in the shop so everybody can can try it out um but i think i think uh more specifically for me i like the um i like the culotte it's the it's the cap that sits on top of the top sirloin a lot of times um the a top sirloin steak will be cut with that on it. So mm. the top sirloin steak will be pretty big, really large, but we'll take that, we'll, we'll remove it and then have the top sirloin just be top sirloin steaks and we'll sell the culotte as a culotte or it's also known as a picanha. Um, you know, we can we sell them as steaks, but I like it a lot as a whole roast because there's really nice fat coverage on the one side of it. You can cook it mostly on that side um, for, for most of the way and it renders out the fat but it gets it nice and pillowy and and kind of crispy on the outside and then you just kind of kiss it on the other side where the meat itself is pretty lean um, but you have that fat cap on the top that kind of that the meat itself is really silky and smooth um, I am totally salivating right now <laughs> I am like oh my god I feel like I'm listening to like a trashy novel <laughs> this is so good but, oh my god but, that's the thing that we, we do get a lot of people who come in like, what's the best cut? I want to get that. But I think a lot of it really is based off of how, what you plan on doing with it, how you're going to cook it. Like you don't want to spend the extra money on a filet if you're going to braise something for four hours in the oven, you know? 
it's so, also a preference like you right. said so right. like, like yeah you know like i i i know it's not the cool hip thing but i would prefer a tenderloin over a ribeye mm-hmm. um i just prefer like a tender mm-hmm. chewy kind of easy yeah. <laughs> how about liver do you sell the liver yeah so when we first opened before we opened and when we first opened we were like what are we going to do with all of this offal? Like we want to get the whole animal. So we're going to get the carcass. We're going to get everything that comes with it. And I just envision giant piles of offal. <laughs> like, uh, 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 yeah. What are we going to do? So we, we figured, I mean, we would, that's, that was one of the reasons why we started making dog food because it was a really great outlet in oh. order to have like a for sure amount of offal, have a home, and we won't have to worry about it. But then what we quickly found out the, based on where we're located, um, there's a lot of different eating habits from the people who go to the university. So- International population. Yeah. yeah so we actually had a lot of people wanting OFL specifically, mm-hmm. so much so that we then reached back out to our farmers and we're like, hey, do you have any more of this? Like we could, we could eat more. So now we buy a lot extra just for the need for us to be able to fill orders for customers it's all from you know the same farm and it's just all the supplemental stuff that they usually they will either toss or get rid of or sell back to um to the slaughterhouse or the plant or something but we're uh we bring it in extra just so that we can fulfill all the needs and uh, liver is a really big part of it i think Heart, heart. I think um, oh, I in the past few years, people are uh, getting it a lot more for health reasons and for their diet uh, to in- keep it introduced into their diet. Whereas before the, the beginning years, when we opened the shop, people were getting it mostly because they, they were used to having it uh, because their family cooked it for them. Now they want to have it, mm-hmm. but it, uh, we still have those people, but the majority of the people who come in and get it now, I think, are really just getting it for, for nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, because sweet their doctors yeah. told them that they need to they need to include it, and so it's really interesting because now we've had to we sell a lot of it, but we also have to figure out ways to make it a bit discreet for the you know so like people they just don't like the strong flavor of liver or of kidney, but they're told that they have to eat it. So what do we do to mask it? How, how what do can you we, do? so we, um, we'll grind, uh, we'll grind the meat with the, uh, with the offal. So we'll do like, you know, 25% of the offal and then 75% of the meat and have it, you know, yeah, right. And then people will use it for patties or okay. use for meatloaf or yeah. Huh. So it's a, a little way to kind of introduce it without it being to- so totally in your face because it can it can be strong tasting. Mm-hmm. So. I love that you've thought about all this stuff. I mean, it's a it's a lot. It's a lot. And I don't think well, they really think about all this. About it. <laughs> Sandra, you should hear about their knowledgeable and very and very, um, you know, they know they know if they need something special, they come to us, you know. 
Brian, oh, you were saying I would something? go to you every week. Oh, I was I was saying, Sandra, you sh you gotta um, check out their garbage can situation. Uh. <laughs> oh, really? She's she's, she's like what? <laughs> Billy had one garbage can. Right. In our shop. And tell people like your philosophy, basically. Well, you know, um, we we use everything. So right. if we're not selling it, then we. Um, use it to make stocks or soups or as I said so you know the only everything's compostable after we've done with it um, so and we really 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 try to stay away from plastics as much as possible um, just as we opened uh, my best friend at the time had passed away from tongue cancer mm. and the only thing that I could think that I just kept thinking like plastics in your mouth, plastics in your mouth, touching your food, oh. everything, all of that, you know? And in, in addition to the environmental hazards, uh -huh. um, we made a really um, concerted effort to put everything in glass or to wrap everything in butcher paper. And um, so, and, and because we do whole carcass, they come in, they're not wrapped in plastic. They're not in boxes. They're not, you know, so we have very little waste. Um, just in general, so um, that's kind of where we're at. Yeah. Well, and um, you know, I have a twelve-year-old. I know you guys have a almost six-year-old. I've I've wanted to sort of have this conversation. I mean, she eats meat. She eats things. She eats burgers, and she'll have tacos and things like that. Chicken, um, but we still haven't really had that conversation about. Hey, you know how we go to the store and things come on a styrofoam thing wrapped in plastic? That's like, and it was, I think it was because I had watched this show on HBO, Sweet Bitter. It was about a restaurant in New York. And the, the owner took all the employees one day out to a farm. You know, they're, they're like all hungover, of course, because they're New York restaurant um, <laughs> workers. And he gets them all on a bus and takes them out to a farm. And they think they're going there to, to see where their meat is coming from. So they bring this little pig out and everyone's like, oh my God, look how cute the little pig. And then they slaughter it right there in front of them. And some of them are like mortified. But, but then that next night when they go back to work, you know, they have a woman that orders a steak or something and she only takes like two bites. And then, you know, she says she's finished and they said, oh, do you want me to wrap it up for you? And she says, no. They're like pissed <laughs> because they've somehow they they're like now that it's equated to an actual animal like a like a thing, and I want my daughter to have that sort of experience where she understands the true thing that's going on. And I guess you guys are in a unique position where you could just bring her to work, right? And sort of. <laughs> and you know, I think we I think we've scarred her with that actually. Uh, That's what I'm worried about. But we do have, she does bring it up at, at dinner time. We do have conversations about it. Like it'll, you know, one day she'll just mouth something like crazy and love it and talk about how good it is. And then the next day, you know, she'll talk about, you know, she'll ask what's for, what's for dinner and we'll say we're having chicken. And, and then like all of a sudden, as she's, as she's eating it, she'll be like, well, this is, like this chicken, is like a chicken? chicken, like a real chicken. And so then we, right. we talk, we talk about how like, it's important to understand and know that. So I don't, I think also, cause she's six, it, there's only so far that that conversation can go, yeah. but it is really interesting to see that when we have people come into the shop 
with kids, it's like the, we put chickens in our case with head and feet on and we leave them on for on, for, on purpose for that reason. But one, so that people know that it's available, they can get it, but also to understand like chicken doesn't come on a styrofoam tray. And so it's at like the perfect level for kids to see. And then they point and look and then they show their parents. And then that kind of creates a bit of a, of a conversation for them too, um, in, in, a, in a good way, whether it, it, whatever direction it goes into, it's still, it's important. We also have a window into our meat locker um, that all of our customers can see into. Um, and you can see the hanging lambs and the hanging half pigs and you know, just to make that truly transparent so that there is that connection. It's really important. Yeah. I remember growing up, my cousins lived in Petaluma on a farm. And so certain times a year, and we would all divide up the meat. So it was, just, but we were there when it was time to, you know, for the animals to have their one bad day. And so there was just a thing, you know, I remember hiding in the in the back of the truck looking over while uncle's going and shooting the pig or when he's going out to the field to grab a cow. And then, you know, they got the chain on the barn and everything's getting, but it became like, and for them, it was even like, it's not like it's a, it wasn't like a farm where they had like 40 cows. It was like two cows. So you had lived with that cow for however long with, with the name. I mean, the cow had a name, it was Bessie or it was whatever. And so it, there was a real connection to it, unlike, you know, just picking one out of a, a large group or something and saying, oh, that's what we're going to slaughter. It was like, so it was, it became like a normal thing. But I swear, I think at this point with my daughter, if I tried to Rabbit. do something like that, Rabbit. she would, Rabbit. I'd, <laughs> I'd have a vegan on my hands within minutes. Like, there's just yeah. something that the kids, they need to understand it. Because um, the fact that they're willing to eat meat, but the process of it mm. is really difficult for them to wrap their heads around. It's it's a tough thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think I the best, sorry, okay. the best way to start with that is if you can get out to a farm that has chickens and, and if they if you can find one that will at least just slaughter one, you know. Um, terra that, firma, I think what terra firma farms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, perhaps, yeah. But just there. Um just you know, that she doesn't have an, any attachment to the chickens, but she can see that that's a real thing. And that the um, that process is, it's, it's, uh, it's meaningful, but it's also the least, I feel like the least, um, it's, it's quick and clean and like, <laughs> for lack of a better word, palatable. Um, it, yeah. Well, it's part of a conversation, you know, right. it's not right. just the act and it's, it's understanding. I mean, I grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia and I had no idea what cuts of meat came from what animal for years and years and years. I think maybe until I came to Sonoma, I mean, I had no connection whatsoever. I think it's so different. Yeah. yeah. And we, that's what we do. Um, we do that with our crew at the shop where we uh, go out to the farms that we get our animals from. And it gives us all a chance to go and see them and see how they do it in their element, you know, because the farmers are farmers. They're not the business people that they're not like 
as much as they actually are, it's not what they love to do, you know, like the sales and the logistics of getting it to us and things like that. But seeing them in their element and how excited and passionate they are about what they do. Um, and then being able to bring that back with us to the shop. And it is really important to continue that with the product that we have then, even though it's not live, it's still, it was at one point. And so we do the best that we can to extend that, that whole situation, uh, all that time and energy and love that the ranchers put into their animals, we do with cutting. So really taking, um, you know, honoring. yeah, honoring the, the process of, of, of cutting it and not just like another slab of meat to throw around, you know? Um, and I think that's also really important too, that even by doing what we're doing, we're still trying to continue that on until you get it and take it home. Mm -hmm. And then, and then hopefully you would enjoy it mm -hmm. just as much, you know? But yeah. it, that connection, I think, is really uh, important. <clears throat> just to so understand. we got a big holiday coming up. What are you guys offering for Thanksgiving? Drum roll. <laughs> Drumstick roll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah we're, we, we're doing what we always do, which is um, turkeys. And uh, we do a few hams. Um, but this year, obviously, we... We're trying to. Um, we're pivoting. <laughs> we're, we ordered a lot, many more smaller birds. Okay. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So we have totally a lot of small bird yeah. orders coming in. Um, we also we have, have the guinea hen and alternatives. Yeah. So that uh -huh. if you don't want to commit to such a large, small <laughs> turkey, uh, you know, things like ducks or guinea hens or you know, things like that to just kind of. Uh, I don't know, to kind of supplement or kind of fill the, the, the void of, because uh, a lot of people want a whole bird. Right. Cook a whole bird to have that as presentation. And if just the whole turkey is too much, then at least there's something else. Yeah, well, we also can do part, we're offering parts, turkey right. parts. And mm. we do the sausage, we do sausage stuffing and pie dough made with lard and yeah. um, gravy and, you know, anything we can do to help out, especially this year, because I think a lot of people are going to try and tackle Thanksgiving dinner who aren't typically the Thanksgiving dinner cooks. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So trying to help them along as much as possible. Um, yeah. But, Thanks. Thanksgiving traditionally has been the girl in the figs busiest day of the year. And yeah. we're not, we're not going to be, I mean, we're doing takeout, we're doing like family style boxes, um, you know, and for some people we have a box where they can just get all the sides and they can make their turkey or, you know, we have salmon, which doesn't sell that much, but for someone that doesn't want turkey, mm -hmm. but it's really different. It's really different, you know, yeah. Yeah. So it's not the same as having all the families and, right. you know. No. Yeah. And it's going to feel different too, because, you know, usually there's quite a mob of folks in the shop and it's loud and it's boisterous and it's fun and it's organized chaos, you know, and, uh, and this year we're only letting three customers in at a time. So it's going to be quiet and, yeah. you know, try and be as efficient as possible and get people in and out. And 
on the road, but um, it's definitely going to be a very different, very different feeling this year for sure. Yeah. yeah. But well, yeah, and Sandra, all the people that normally come see me at the Fairmont or you at the Girl in the Fair, you're right, are going to be at home trying to <laughs> trying yeah. to figure out cooking while ha after having four cocktails and a bottle of wine. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's why they come to us. They don't want to think about anything. They just want to, you know, yeah, get their heat on or drink and yeah. have that have that family discussion. Is the election over yet? Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Can you can you offer cooked cooked uh, turkeys to sell to uh, your customers that they they, they well, can? We, well, we're not going to do a whole turkeys. So we're uh -huh. doing like what our our boxes are for four, and so like the turkey, it's roasted turkey breast, and then it's a turkey confit, cornbread put, stuffing, nice. um, sides and things like that. So if somebody wants a traditional whole turkey we're not it's not something we've ever done so yeah. we decided we're not going to take it on this year but that's Mark. good where do i sign up <laughs> <laughs> we always have crabs because we're just so exhausted by the time oh wow i'd love like, that yeah. stick it in a pot and yeah. call it a day yeah yeah um, but our turkeys this year um we have found a um a rancher who is very far out of our 150 mile radius. Um, but we have actually, Aaron actually went to Kansas to see the property and meet with him. Um, and uh, it's at a Good Shepherd, Good Shepherd Ranch is the name of the ranch. Um, name? Frank Reese. Thank you. Frank Reese is the gentleman's name who raises these turkeys. And they're all um, pure bred, um, old, uh, heirloom variety. Turkey. They're like heritage, they're, they're right? heritage yeah. turkey, but they're not even crossbred with each mm -hmm. other. So, and he raised them from egg all the way through, and they um, they're literally out on pasture, like up in trees. They can fly. Um, they uh, roost in the trees, and um, they're the real deal. So it's they're pretty. They're actually very special birds, mm -hmm. um, and we feel really really blessed that we can support him and um, and give our customers these really amazing, amazing birds for Thanksgiving. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just thinking that it's payback time. I, the, I'm, <laughs> Brian, <laughs> this is so horrible. Bad. It's horrible, but I turkeys, you know, we have wild turkeys in this area and they're yeah. like, they're like, they're like gangs. They're oh, straight yeah. up thugs. They're like yeah. motorcycle yeah. gangs. Yeah. They like travel in packs and they go out on search and destroy missions. Uh -huh. Totally, so. especially at intersections. They really like to stall traffic at intersections. Yeah. Yeah. Fifth Street in Napa, there's always, you can always find a few turkeys and then mix in with the peacocks. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. We have peacocks here, yeah. But well, it's what peacock so much meat fun. Is like. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's like saying, I wonder what flamingo tastes like. There, there's going to be someone that's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, it, you know what, flamingo, think about that. If they're eating shrimp. No. No. Yeah, I bet no. they just taste Ooh, like shrimp. It's like surf and turf all in no. one no. thing. I right? went to a place in the south of France that was a flamingo park and there were thousands and thousands of flamingos i could never eat a flamingo after seeing them. <laughs> isn't I just, that okay. stupid though it's stupid that we think about like that like we can't eat a know, dog but, but you could eat this and you yeah uh -huh. 
And I, I pretty much will eat everything. I don't know. I'm definitely ordering some Jocelyn of flamingos. <laughs> I know. Isn't that weird? Liver from you guys. You're going to ship me liver? Sure. We, we typically don't ship. Oh, 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 okay. That's, <laughs> I have to that's find part this. of our carbon. Uh, yeah, no, I don't right. blame you. It's a pain in the butt. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, and, yeah. We can certainly send you the right to the right places to uh, okay. to order your mailed mailed liver. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> order liver. But we do offer a butcher basket. It's a monthly subscription. Um, oh. So if you want to come to Berkeley once a month, well, you um, never know. Frozen right. meat. It's a basket of frozen meat, and it's all really, really great. Um, yeah, that's good. So yeah. then people just come to the store and pick it up. Yeah. yeah, and when they're awesome. there, they get ten percent off. Ten yep. percent off everything else in the store. So because we're only we offer, I mean, you can choose in the basket, but it's a, it's a beef, pork, and lamb. But if you don't eat pork, you can have just beef and lamb, or you know, just a beef basket, something that that kind of thing. But we don't offer the poultry or sausages or pates or stocks or any of that stuff. So it's mm -hmm. a way to kind of bulk up your basket with. Uh, helping with the, the percentage off. We didn't even talk about sausage, which oh, is like one of my favorite things. Like I got the attachment for my KitchenAid like 10 years ago so that I could <laughs> oh, make yeah. sausage. And it's the like the, the combinations are insane. I I don't do a lot of it anymore. I go to Oliver's Market here. They, <laughs> they, they get a plug for all of us like they need our help i think okay so if you're going to be in an area that there's an oliver's market you should just go in oliver's and fill up your cart and you can roll up and down <laughs> the aisles you can go one way and you're going to know that the oliver's buyers there have picked out the most perfect things for you we're really happy to be sponsored by oliver's markets they do a wonderful job and we appreciate their support all right that's our pitch they yeah. do they do all the sausage um there in house so it's great i mean they, there's probably like 12 to 15 different types of sausage but sausage is just so amazing so sausage yeah, is one of my favorite and then i didn't get to um duck wings is my like new little obsession <laughs> oh <laughs> I, I love duck wings so how do you like them so I think, like, what do you do with them? The chefs just basically throw them on a, on a sheet pan with like a, a rack and they season them and then throw them in there. And then they just, I don't know what they do with them, but they, I see them sitting out sometimes and no one's watching. And so, <laughs> so oh, you know, sometimes yeah, I'll just yeah, grab one. Your general mm -hmm. manager is listening to this. <laughs> oh, he's going to know this is a creative license, Mr. Rowe. Yes. <laughs> But they, they're just simply cook, and I think yeah. um, just like you would do like a chicken wing, I think you could do a lot of different things with duck wings. Yeah, we yeah we, we went to a, a duck dinner um, once, and they had uh, it was buffalo duck wings. Yeah. Um, and I just remember that they weren't for me. They weren't as meat. I was expecting them to be this like really meaty. You know, like. A chicken yeah. wing when you bite it, it just was not as meaty. But I think, right. um, I think that it maybe just wasn't prepared the right way. Um, so well, it, if you like that you know, skin too, it's the yeah. it's the flavor of the skin and the crispiness, and it's if it has salt and pepper on there. I mean, that's just a treat in itself. Yeah, yeah. But speaking of sausage, we also didn't talk about our classes. Uh, oh yeah. 
Tell and us. Sausage, sausage classes, making classes is definitely one of our most popular. Do you um, do it online now? We're pivoting for 2020. Well, we had to cancel all of our classes for 2020. Oh, yeah. um, we're just too slammed to even think about it. But um, 2021, we are going to be doing them online. Oh, yeah. Awesome. And speaking of your kitchen made, kitchen aid <laughs> mixer attachment, we'll be in, uh, using that, you know, instead of mm -hmm. um, our shop grinder, our shop grinder um, yeah. and, and catering it um, more to like the home cooks um uh equipment rather than what we have in the shop which is typically what we've done so thus far um but yeah there those will be we're we're going to be posting a availability um teaser kind of a uh opportunity for folks to get signed up for classes for 2021 for the holiday season as gifts or whatever oh, that's a great idea that'd be super yeah. cool it's kind of like the yeah. the sourdough thing you know went through a phase in lockdown where people are doing that like sausage to be the next thing because yeah you're gonna want to have space in your freezer because <laughs> you, <laughs> right? once you buy the casings and you like keep doing it it gets addictive and so you're gonna yeah. be like oh let's try pineapple and sage in this one well, i was just gonna say <laughs> that, that's the best part about it like it can be just a clear blanket for whatever you want it to be, yeah. however you want it to flavor it. We yeah. currently do have buffalo chicken sausages sausage. oh. <laughs> and it's buffalo the sauce, not the animal. Right. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this was I awesome. I know we could go on for hours. I mean, Probably. there's so much to talk about. It's incredible. Neat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talking about me. Talk about steak tartare, one of our most popular items in the restaurant. People love it. The other day, actually, my dog may have puppies today, either one or, one or two. It could be today or tomorrow. So, yeah, yeah I know. I'm going to be a grandmother. But um, <laughs> they had dinner. The um, guy who breeds them had dinner at the restaurant last night, and his nephew or his cousin was in from the midwest and brought them to the restaurant and he was eating the steak tartare and he's like what what am i what is this it's so good it's so amazing and he's like it's it's raw raw beef and he was like oh oh i love a good steak tartare yeah 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 we we do it every once in a while um yeah and it's uh it's it's really great with um with pastured beef because it has so much more flavor mm -hmm. uh you know there's still it's still great to add all the other things with it that you like to have with steak tartare but um just the flavor of the meat along yeah. with just a little bit of salt on it just exactly it's it's the dip it makes yeah. a whole difference yeah sandra takes it to, to the next level with her lavender just lavender, a pinch of lavender sea salt, sea salt. Yeah. Berries. Mm -hmm. nice yeah yeah I know you can tell it's lunchtime. I yeah. know. Oh my God. I know. But this was really a juicy, juicy episode. Oh, juicy. You guys, will you give out your, your address and web address and, you know, possible Insta account for those people on Instagram so they can check you guys out? Absolutely. So the local butcher shop is located at 1600 Shattuck Avenue. Suite 120 in Berkeley. Um, our front door is actually on Cedar Street. Um, our website is 
thelocalbutchershop.com. Our Insta is the local butcher shop. <laughs> Our Facebook is the local butcher shop. Um, and uh, yeah, you can find us all over the place. And seven Our, days a week. Seven yep. days a week. Okay. Yeah. And do you guys have like the coolest aprons ever, or what? We have. <laughs> Double mail, we have double aprons. We have our chain mail apron and then we wear our pinstripe oh, aprons okay. over our chain mail. Okay. Apron. And what knife do you use the most? Is it the cleaver? Is it the pairing? Is it no neither? Uh, I mean, I think we don't use and that's a really fun thing actually to the difference coming from a restaurant background the and using your knives all the time in the kitchen, but then having to kind of relearn how to use knives again uh, when it's just strictly butchery. Oh. Um, so there's a set of, you know, a set of knives that we use just for meat cutting. Um, I think, you know, just a, a, a bony knife, a scimitar and a breaking knife are the three that we use most of the time. Do you um, use one of those saws? Hand saw, uh, yep, yeah. we use that. Uh, but um, yeah, that's that's What, what was one called a scimitar? Did you yeah. Say? Okay, that's so, the coolest sounding like one for dinosaur. sure. <laughs> it's, it's basically oh. like a steak knife. Okay. It's, okay. it's, it's long. Uh, it's, curved, it's, got, it's got a curve on the end of it at the at the. It kind of looks like a it. machete. Small yeah. Machete. Oh, okay. Yeah. Very um, fun. Well, yeah. This is really cool. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you guys. Thanks for thinking of us. Really, Thank really. Yeah, nice. happy holidays to you guys. But I think when this show comes out, mm -hmm. it's going to be pretty close to Thanksgiving. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, enjoy yours and good luck with the rest of 2020. Yeah. yeah. You're gonna have to come to Burke, make a special trip. Yeah. Do, pick up the box of meat. Coming. Box of yeah. meat. I will. Yeah. All right, guys. If you well, want to hear safe. some of our, thank you, you guys too. If All you right. want to hear uh, some of our past episodes, go to thebikeozon.com. Uh, check us out on every platform. Leave us a five star rating and leave us any comments that you like. We love hearing from you guys. Thank you so much. I look forward to talking to you next week.